1: Steve Wright here with Family Church Lead Pastor Jimmy Scroggins talking about how we developed an effective air war, ground war strategy to grow Family Church. Jimmy, I often think back to being in Louisville, Kentucky, and we've talked about it before, but, you know, really when we were considering coming down here, I mean, that was really a big move for Tina and I, just like it was for you and Kristen when you guys decided to move down here, but you know Tina and I had been praying for you guys for years cuz we knew what you right. actually <laughs> right. were going through it was really like playing bloody knuckles for you i mean it was i mean it was just at hell first, on roller no skates doubt. for sure it was and so there were a lot of things going on and you know really today you know if we look back at what you and i laid out as an air war ground war strategy looking in the rearview mirror it looks pretty good and so i'd like for you to talk a little bit to our listeners today about kind of what was going on in your life at the time, because you'd been down here working really hard a lot. There were some wins that you guys had, but there were a lot of things. And there was actually a phrase that you used in the meeting when you sat down with Tina and I, and I'd like for you to kind of walk us through that a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things, Steve, you know, you have such a great reputation. I mean, you're a, you're a published author. You're a a sought after conference speaker you're known as a leader in the field of family ministry. I mean, that's really, in a lot of ways, where probably a lot of people have heard your name. And Steve, besides that, you were just my friend. Right. And you and Tina are friends with Christian and me. But I've been down here for four years. When I came to our church, our church was in a tough spot. And honestly, we had to put on our, our helmet and pick up our lunch pail and go to work put every day. Put on the big boy pants. You had to put on your big boy pants. And honestly, you had to work through some things. Now, the church really was a very kind and encouraging and loving church for the most part. But if you take a traditional Southern Baptist church, steeples and column and everything like we were deeply in debt and all the other, you know, attendance down and all facilities dilapidated, and you come in and you start making changes. I mean, it shakes them up pretty good. And so we had we were forced by difficult circumstances to make all these changes. Well, bloody knuckles is what you call it. I mean, it was basically hand-to-hand political <laughs> infighting for four years. I mean, stuff in the newspaper, on Facebook, websites, demonstrators. Deacons that wouldn't look at Deacons yeah. that wouldn't talk to me. Deacons that would bring attorneys into meetings with me to sue me and all of this stuff. Well, when you're going through that, it takes a toll. But we had had some great success. God had really blessed And Our church people had rallied around and we had won people to Christ and we had seen significant growth. By that time, we had three campuses and another one on the way. We had really corrected a lot of the financial problems that we had or were on the way to correcting those. And we had significant growth. We had baptisms. We had a, a much stronger staff situation. So we were set up to win. But honestly, when I met with you guys in Louisville that night, I told you, I said, look, Steve, I'm exhausted. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't think I can take it any further by myself. I need some more horsepower in our organization. And I want to rethink our organization because all I had been doing for the first four years, honestly, was fighting what I'm going to call the air war. Okay. And I told you, I've been fighting the air war. I've been trying to make the big plays, make the big decisions, fight the big battles. And by that time, we had fought, in my opinion, all of the biggest, hardest battles were done in terms of resetting the church. But I said, Steve... If we're going to move any further, you've got to come and help me fight the ground war. So, we've got to have an air war and a ground war because, just like in a battle plan, the air war can only accomplish so much. You can bomb the enemy into oblivion, but you still got to have somebody come in and get organized and take ground and hold it, and even push forward. Yeah, I remember you using that phrase because Tina and I got back in the car and she
1: was just amazed with the statement and we both laughed. We we don't know what he's talking about, but it sounds really good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like being in charge of the ground war. You're a wrestler, right? Right. That's perfect. Let's get them down. Ground them and pound them. I actually heard Mark Driscoll use that phrase and I got it from him. And so it made total sense to me. So if we're going to move forward, we're going to have to do it. Well, the air war is basically the vision trajectory of the church. And that's going to have to flow from ultimately from the senior pastor or the lead pastor or the the elder group that's leading. And that's going to have to come from their mind and their heart and what they see as a legitimate, viable future for their church. And so I could see when I came as senior pastor, I felt like I had a vision trajectory in my mind and in my heart, really from before I showed up as pastor about where we were going to go. And it had to do with multi-site and a different structure and different facilities and multicultural and multi-generational. And we we talked about all of that. But even if I have a great air war trajectory and a vision that I can cast articulately and compellingly, it doesn't really matter unless there's a ground war supporting that. Somebody's got to actually train leaders, organize groups. Somebody's got to get in there and make the greeters have to show up in the parking lot and your small groups have to teach the material that you want them to teach. And this only really works well if you can take the air war and the ground war and synchronize them so that they are working in common purpose and that they're working in a way that is friendly and it's full of love and joy. That's what brings strength to the entire effort.
1: Well, I think one of the examples that you and I could use for our listeners so that they can really get their mind around what we're talking about. Jimmy, one of the vision pieces that you had that you preached on all the time was related to, we're going to plant a thousand, I mean, a hundred churches in South Florida. And so that's right. You really wanted to, you know, see many people come to Christ here in South Florida. And you knew the,
0: the air war could get us to three. Yeah. So
1: we, (laughs) but, but we were doing it. I mean, those things were in play. But then, you know, really just the idea of the church planting residency and those kind of things, that's those right. were those were actually some of the, you know, we knew that we were going to have to have three to four to five hundred pastors to that's lead right. all of these. And so starting the residency and, you know, having a pipeline,
0: leadership pipeline to plant these churches there were, well, were And that's why it was so vital for you to come be on board, Steve, because I could only do so much. And honestly, dealing with key leaders and key donors and preaching the sermons and leading the staff at the highest level. You that didn't took, have, yeah, you didn't have time all, to write the yeah, curriculum. I also have eight kids. So I couldn't, right. You're yeah, right. I didn't have time. And I didn't even know, not only do I not have time, you know me well enough now. <laughs> I'm not very good at detail execution. I mean, that's just not yeah. who God made me to be. And that's why we needed somebody like you to come and lead the ground war. And, you know, one of the things that happens is I can cast vision But what you do and your team does is you make sure the vision that we're casting gets pressed all the way through our organization, from the executive team meeting all the way through to the greeters and the people who help us with maintenance and the parking team and the Bible study teachers and the deacons. And that's why what, you do, and this idea of having an air war and a ground war working together is, is so important.
1: Well, we want to make sure that the vision leaks through our entire organization. And so, Jimmy, when we think about this idea and the practical expression of it, like in your mind, how does it affect what happens at church Monday through
0: Friday or during the week? Sure. Well, the air war gets worked on all the time. And, and the number one place you fight the air war is in your key leadership meetings with staff and volunteers. So for us we have key committees, we have a leadership council, we of course have have staff meetings and so forth. So we're going to we're going to try to sell and cast and develop vision through that group, but the number one place you have to disseminate it powerfully and broadly is the pulpit. And this is true for churches of any size. So some churches who are listening to this, you're on church for the rest of us, you might say, well, I'm the pastor of a small church. I don't have a staff. I don't have a lot. It doesn't matter. Your number one opportunity to disseminate vision is the pulpit. And one of the things that I think pastors do that's a great error is they don't use the pulpit as a leadership tool. They think that's their education tool. Hmm. And I think the pulpit should be seen much more as a leadership tool, leading the congregation the direction that you think God wants you to go. And so to me, the sermons and the staff meetings or your meetings with your key volunteers are the number one place where the air war gets disseminated and gets fought and the vision gets cast. But then you have to have the ground war and the ground war plays out through things like what we call our first connection class, our new members class. How are people recruited into that class? What information is given? What challenges are given? What are we asking to do in that class? Programs for training and discipleship of members and leaders, whether those are in-home groups or on-campus groups, Sunday mornings or other times. Recruiting leaders, like we need an army of leaders and there's no way one person can be the personal connect for the number of leaders that we need. Evangelism, training people, discipling them to use our tools like the three circles. And then special events, leadership rallies and men's events and women's events, all the things that we do. And what we try to do is make our student ministry programs, our children ministry programs, all of these things are supposed to be working in concert to support the total vision trajectory of the church, and that's what you're so good at. So it's really important that you and I are always on the same page.
1: Yeah, alignment's really important, Jimmy. I think a lot about just our listeners on Church for the Rest of Us podcast. I mean, these guys are church planners. They're pastoring churches that may have seventy-five or hundred and fifty or two hundred. I mean, these are a lot of them are in you know small rural areas right, and right. small churches. Peter Drucker said that pastoring a local church is one of the toughest jobs in all jobs in America. Again, proving his expertise, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you think about how difficult it is and what pastors have to go through just week in, week out. I mean, just their daily schedules. It, it's, it's really just unbearable in so many ways. I think about going back to the first church that I served in, a church of 125, 150, and Tony Smith, the first pastor that I worked for, I mean, just a godly, godly, godly man. And one of the things that he did, because, I mean, he, he had no staff. He had a key volunteer, a lady named Deb Smith, who actually was his ground war general. Now, at right. the time, we didn't know to call it that, but right. Tony had a lot of really great ideas. He wanted to reach Gainesville, Georgia for Christ. Yeah. And you know while he was casting vision and preaching, I mean, it was Deb that was actually practically Organizing, the or, organizing it. And she was actually really good. And yeah. when I went on staff at the church, she really was my boss she and mentor, organizing you. She, which was a tough job. <laughs> Jimmy, you had kind of a similar situation like that when you were a
0: youth pastor at Highview. Right. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I was a youth pastor at Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky for a long time. And when I first went to that church, Kevin Ezell was the lead pastor there. And church had been through a lot of difficulty and a lot of trauma And he was rebuilding that church. And I was the first church staff member that he brought on to his team. And when I went there, the youth group was was really small and wasn't very effective and was in a tough spot. And we only had a few kids. And so I didn't have, you know, a youth staff. I didn't have a secretary or an assistant. I didn't have interns. We didn't have a budget, my gosh. And so when I went there, one of the things I figured out is we could grow. So we began to preach and we began to cast vision and we took kids on trips, kind of fighting the air war for the youth group. And we grew up to about 100 kids. And then I realized we cannot go any further. I need some help. I need somebody (laughs) to come fight the ground war. And we didn't have any money. We didn't have any resources. And so God really blessed me with three men. I recruited them and they were just very dear. These guys were a little bit older than me. They're about 10 or 15 years older than me. These guys were very successful and in the middle of their careers. I was just in my mid-20s. And Mark Flynn and Danny Coyle and Dave Riddle all met with me every Wednesday night, youth volunteers, for two hours. We got on our knees and prayed. We strategized, and those guys were in charge. One was in charge of Sunday mornings, and one was in charge of Wednesday nights. One was in charge of senior high, and another one had junior high. When We went on retreats. Those guys did the programming and the the food and the logistics of it. And then another guy named Nat Milliken came on board. He was a retired Air Force colonel, and Nat Milliken came, and we'd go on mission trips or camps. He would organize all the logistics of the trip. So these guys became ground war generals with me. And without them, we would not have been able to do anything. But with them, we could see significant growth and advancement for the kingdom. And that's when I learned that the air war and the ground war concept does not require a lot of money. You can do it with volunteers if that's the kind of ministry that you're in. And I just encourage all of our listeners on Church for the Rest of Us, if you hear us say anything that makes you think, yeah, that would be great if only I was at a church like Family Church. I'm telling you that Steve and I both understand right where you are, and you can do it right where you are by using the resources that God's given you. But thinking about it in this way, air war and ground war may actually help you to organize in your mind and in your heart how you're going to attack the vision that God's given you.
1: I think a lot, Jimmy, when you you have that conversation about, you know, what's working in our church now. I mean, obviously our church is much larger than churches that we were working in earlier, but really the things that we're doing now are things that we learned early in our ministry. And I think about the story of David and Goliath, you know, obviously he's renowned for killing the giant, but I always loved the story when Saul said, how do you know you can kill Goliath? And he said, the same God that gave me victory over the bear and the lion will give me victory today right. and so he had prepared huh? he was prepared jimmy a lot of times you know you and i've had the opportunity to go to a lot i mean we we want to take the learner's posture so we've had opportunities to go to some national conferences and right. you know, we go to those and we take notes and we learn from a lot of times they're parading these guys up on the stage and you know you're just and they're like, phenomenal they're phenomenal they're right. incredible and but it's kind
0: of intimidating it's honestly. intimidating
1: yeah but, you know, you're a lot of times you're sitting there and and sometimes, you know, you're wanting to grow your church, but you are kind of stuck. And, you know, you think about all of the listeners that we have, you know, even as they're listening to they, they may feel stuck where they are. And, you know, it's just tough. Sometimes they may feel like they've missed the mark and with their leadership and they have such a heart. They've dedicated their life. They've studied. They've made sacrifices. They've made financial sacrifices. I mean, these are really some of our heroes. And they want to do a good job. They want their church to grow. But sometimes it's really difficult for them to align the strategy and the air war and the vision. And so I just wonder from your perspective, where do you think some of these guys are missing the mark? Or what are some things that they could do practically that would help them align their air war and ground war?
0: Well, again, the things that I think of, Steve, really don't cost money and don't require some kind of a genius IQ. So to me, again, if you're the lead pastor, or you have influence over the lead pastor, the Sunday morning sermon is the number one biggest play you can make for casting vision. For instance, if I'm preaching on anything, I mean, if I'm preaching through the book of Romans, if I'm preaching through the book of Genesis, one of my applications almost every week is everybody's welcome at family church. Right. And another one is, and we're going to plant a (laughs) hundred churches. So if I'm preaching on justification by faith, one of the great applications of justification by faith is Everybody is welcome at family church and we're gonna plant a hundred churches. Of course. I mean so, those it just makes sense. So you have to find ways to continue to cast vision through your sermons, not to take scripture out of context or sure. make applications, but honestly, you've got to cast vision throughout. You see it in the movies. In the movies, every time they show a, a close-up of the word Toyota on a vehicle, or every time that they flash that Coca-Cola can or whatever it is, that is product placement in the movies. They do that on purpose. We need to do the same kind of product placement in our sermons, but not to sell products, to sell vision. And I think that's a big missed opportunity. And you've got to disseminate your vision. You've got to preach it. And not only that, you've got to do it for years. So one of the things that keeps churches from actually accomplishing vision is they change their vision too often. So some of these pastors are like totally schizophrenic. They go to this conference and they go, oh, all right, we're, you know, in the Let's 90s, that. we're purpose-driven. Right. And then they go to this other conference. Oh no, we're elder-led reformed. And then they go to this other conference. Oh no, we're whatever it is. And that is a terrible thing for a church to go through. You've got to cast vision and then stay on that vision for years. Like Eugene Peterson says, right? It's about a long obedience in the same direction. And it takes years of what? preaching Air War, ground war for well, the church lot, to figure it out. Yeah.
1: And what happens? We we master the skill of being great launchers.
0: Well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we just don't finish. And a lot of well, if you don't have a clear and compelling vision in your own mind and heart, you're not going to be able to create an air war ground war trajectory that actually helps you accomplish it. And I'll tell you what else, in my opinion, a lot of pastors, their heads on a swivel for the next job. Mm-hmm. And that's not always wrong. It's All of us have moved from church to church, so I'm not saying that's wrong, but at some point, you've got to land somewhere and say, I'm planting my flag here. I'm investing this season of my life here. If you're going to leave your church in two or three years, there's no point in casting vision because you don't have time to do it, and vision casting requires staying power and commitment, and I think a lot of guys miss the boat on that.
1: Right. Well, Jimmy, those are great words. I mean, great insight. I'm just wondering, like in your mind, when you think about this practically, if a guy says, I'm going to do these things, what does it actually take to make this work in his setting?
0: Well, again, you got to connect the pulpit and the programming. That's really important. You can't have the pastor running off in mean, his ivory tower, coming up with great sermons while his volunteers or his staff are designing the Sunday school programming and the Wednesday night programming. And that happens in so many, even small churches. The pastor's over here doing one thing in the ivory tower while everybody else is running a ground war and those two never have a conversation. So one of the things it takes, Steve, to make it work is a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's not just all spontaneous. You've got to create environments specifically to have these air war, ground war conversations.
1: Which is kind of what, I mean, Tuesday is a great example of that. I mean, tell our listeners about that. I mean, that that is like a yeah. tough day for us, but we're committed to meetings because we've got to have these
0: conversations. Sure. So every Tuesday, you know, we have we have an executive team meeting where we meet, and that's where we kind of develop vision and programming for the entire church. That's where the air war and the ground war mesh on a weekly basis. We have campus pastor meetings that you lead, so you bring all of our campus pastors together. Coach them, resource them. We have a preaching meeting. I'm bringing all of the preachers for the week together. We're developing and working and collaborating on our sermons. And then every campus has its own meeting of its campus staff. So the downtown campus and the Jupiter campus and the Palm Beach Gardens campus and their meeting. And, and then all of them. And then and then the next day, you know, all of the worship ministers meet and all of the children's Make ministers meet. Matrix teams. So we have all of these teams that are in our matrix, and we'll talk about that in another podcast. But we just have a lot of meetings, and then we have two big retreats every year for about 4 days where we go off and talk about the air war and the ground war and the vision and then we have a preaching retreat every year at least once a year where we go off and talk about the air war and the ground war and the vision and then once a month we have an all day Monday meeting where we talk about the air war and the ground war and the vision and then on top of that you and I Steve have multiple times a year sometimes we retreats go away for days with, at yeah, a time right. with just the two of us so that we can make sure that the air war and the ground war sync up because And the other thing is the way this works out, everybody's got to understand their seat on the bus. And somebody's got to be kind of responsible for casting the vision and making the final call. This is the vision we're pursuing. And then everything else needs to be an extension of that vision. And I think in too many churches, the air war, somebody's trying to cast a vision through the air war and the ground war becomes an alternative to the vision instead of an extension to the vision. And I think that causes all kinds of problems. And one of the things that really benefits us here is you and I and our team work hard not to let that happen. But it takes a lot of conversations and a lot of meetings (laughs) in a way that probably drive a lot of people crazy.
1: Yeah. And Jimmy, you know, beyond the meetings, what you do through those meetings, you really develop common language. That's right. You know, for us that has really been a key thing. And you know, a lot of times, you know, and not that we're trying to be jerks about it or anything, but we people will say things in a way that we don't say them and we kind of correct them and pull them on the carpet and say, hey, this is how we no say question. it. We, you know, that's part of the training. Talk to us a little bit about common language and why that's important for a church.
0: Yeah, well, look, language creates culture. And really what we're trying to establish is a culture of collaboration and a culture of honor. And so creating a culture of collaboration means the way we structure our meetings, people are invited into a conversation. We try to invite a lot of people into a conversation before we just decree Something is about to be done, and you know I think too many pastors and churches in the past have had a great man theory of leadership where the pastor is Moses. He goes up on the mountain in the cloud of thunder and smoke, he comes down off the mountain and tells everybody else what God said, and until, they until have to,
1: the next conference.
0: yeah, they have to get on board or get off board <laughs> that's right. yeah, a horrible model. I would rather collaborate so that the vision of course, I am ultimately responsible for owning the vision, casting the vision developing it. But it works a lot better. It's a lot more effective if we let the vision develop through this culture of collaboration. Well, the reason language is so crucial is you have to use language that actually contributes to the culture you're trying to create. So for us, for instance, we have multiple campuses. Our original campus is our downtown campus. It was started in 1901. It was here first. It's the biggest, got the most buildings, whatever. But we do not allow anyone in our presence to say main campus. So if anybody says, oh, you're down at the main campus, say, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't have a main campus. Are you talking about the downtown campus? Because nobody wants to work at the campus that's not the main campus. And certainly no attender wants to attend the church that's not the main campus. For them, where they go is their main campus. So that's just an example of how language, like when we're working on partnerships, we're working on revitalizing churches. We never say the word merger. Because nobody wants to be in a merger because in a merger, somebody got merged, right. Right? right? Nobody wants to be that church. So to create a culture of honor, we use the language of strategic partnerships. Now, I've seen people critique language like this, but I actually think it's empowering collaborative language that makes everybody understand that every party is bringing something to the table because collaboration requires that everybody has something to offer. And so I just think language like not using main campus, not using the word merger. We make everybody be trained in the three circles. The three circles gives us common language when we're talking about evangelism. At the end of every service, at every campus of family church, Spanish, English, Portuguese, Russian, English, we say, look, it's been great being the church in here. Now let's go be the church out there. So church out there is part of our language. Language creates culture, language creates collaboration, and that's really important to us.
1: Well, today we've been talking about our air war, ground war strategy, and we'd love to have more conversations with you about that. If you can contact us or again, you know, if you'd like to come to come our conference, to conference in March, absolutely, um, you can find information about that and our show notes on familychurchnetwork.com and hope to see you next week on Church for the Rest of Us.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to church for the rest of us.